Mr. Joseph Wise, how are you doing? Mr. Kenny McCann, I am doing well, sir. I'm alive and happy to be alive. How about yourself? <laughs> Same here. How's the smoke out there? Oh, it's still pretty bad. We got those 1980s sunsets with all the haze and the smoke. And you step outside and you take a whiff and it just smells like the worst smelling wood burning stove imaginable. <laughs> burns the eyes, scratches the throat. It's pretty nasty. <laughs> Same here. And if you hear a bunch of noise, that's just my wife uh, nesting. Don't mind that. <laughs> all right. No problem. I think it's been three years since our previous episode um because you're my you're on my first episode uh, about i think it was august 2017 i believe uh, it might have been it might have been august it might have been slightly earlier because i was just getting into professional wrestling and um it was before my um head trainer virgil flynn the third unfortunately passed away so mm, that's that was, right so i think that was but actually, come to think of it, it might have been August 2017. Yeah, so I think you're correct. Yes. I think the title was God's Wrestling and Bar God Wrestling and Bartending. Because at the time you were bartending and wrestling. So are you doing any of those? Uh, right now, no. Um, the only couple of bartending gigs that I got was only for a few family events. And uh, I still keep up with mixology. I have a pretty nice private reserve. And uh, a few of my brothers from time to time, if it's the weekend, we like to make a few cocktails. But uh, otherwise, that hasn't turned into my full-time profession in the interim years of awaiting priesthood. For my wrestling um, situation, I was training with Virgil Flynn III Productions in uh, Sacramento, California from about, for maybe, maybe about a year, from 20, August 2017 till about... I believe July of uh, 2018, when uh, I picked everything up and moved to Orange County. But in that one year, um, I was able to, um, I wasn't able to debut, unfortunately. I didn't know nearly enough uh, to be able to be an effective wrestler and put on a believable contest of strength that would wow crowds. But I was able to work as a referee with um, several promotions, including Virgil Flynn III Productions. Still, um, I think they might have closed down recently, but I got to work with them. I got to work with East Bay Pro Wrestling, a fantastic wrestling organization um, in, I believe, Concord, uh, California, just outside of uh, Oakland. Got to wrestle for the very, <laughs> very, um, un or rather, a referee. Got to referee for... Um, uh, Hood Slam, which is a very crazy and very wild wrestling promotion, and their school Stoner U, which has been an experience all of itself, <laughs> and got to meet a lot of incredible people. Um, one of them, who uh, was a fantastic wrestler, uh, who was wrestling under the ring name Manny Feverino, has actually been hired by the WWE. So he's now wrestling... He's now wrestling uh, with his real name, Manshore. So it's pretty cool to say, hey, that guy super kicked me once. So oh, that, is, that is cool. So how, so how would you describe refereeing or being a referee for wrestling? You know, it's incredible because, you know, as we know, wrestling is, um, you know, saying it's fake is just a dirty word to me. It is a simulated contest of strength against two competitors that if done right can really draw the crowd in have them be part 
of the story that's being told and really and just really not only just entertain but inspire people working as the referee though the job is very very much real because the three count is real every time if you get the three count one two three matches over whoever was pinned loss whoever was doing the pinning wins but you also act as the go-between for wrestlers if there is a spot that they need to call meaning that there are moves that they need to do they can use you to transfer messages back and forth if someone is hurt you need to let someone know because you know hey this match was supposed to go 20 minutes um this guy he might have broken his ankle you guys have to go now you have to finish it up and uh the whole process is being uh i believe someone described it as heard but not seen and mm. it's the best thing that you can do when you're being trained up to become a wrestler because it not only gives you a greater appreciation for referees but it also puts you in the ring and gives you an opportunity to participate in the action which is what i thought was incredible and there's a lot of guys in the wrestling scene who are referees professionally. You know, this is the only thing that they want to do. And it's an essential part of having a wrestling match is that you always need uh, an official, a referee. And um, I worked pretty well at it. Um, and a lot of people also noticed that to the point where several very talented wrestlers would request that I would referee their matches in particular. And that was a great honor. Have you gotten hurt doing this? You know, not really, and I was very fortunate that um, that perhaps you know I got out before injuries could have occurred. But wrestling training is very extreme because the way how you make moves look real is you do bumps, which is where um, let's say if you were to like clothesline my chest, right? You came running by just like the Ultimate Warrior and slammed me. The way mm -hmm. how I make that look real is I would immediately do kind of like a backwards dive where my feet are in the air i land flat and hard on my back slam the ground that makes some noise and it looks like i get hurt well the bump is real enough like you really do land hard on your back all the things that we do to make the moves look real and connect are very real and there is such a there's always an opportunity to get seriously injured in the wrestling business and I've seen people in matches get concussions. I've seen uh, some people um, dislocate their wrists, and I even saw one guy get split wide open because of a rather dumb chair shot. Gosh. But as a referee, uh, I didn't really ever get injured. There were a few spots that required me to get beaten up, but all the wrestlers I worked with were very professional, especially Manny um, Manshore, who gave me a super kick twice. To the head on two different occasions and uh <laughs> there's a reason why he's with the wwe right now those kicks were really yeah. sick yeah i bet that felt good <laughs> oh you know it was it was quite the experience where it's just like holy cow he actually kicked me he it, you know it it made contact it technically didn't hurt but holy cow that's what it feels like huh so if you were to be a wrestler and you got to choose your your name what, what would you go by you know what, Kenny? That's a very good question because when I was being trained up with uh, Virgil Flynn III, that was a subject that came up all the time. And I told him, like, oh, well, you know, I'm thinking about, like, the name Trent Schofield. That sounds cool. And he kind of looked at me lopsided. He's like, Trent Schofield? Isn't that a character from, like, an HBO series? And I was thinking about, like, Maximilian Wise, Max Wise, Wise Guy to the Max, you know, just a lot of silly stuff. 
But Virgil, um, God rest his soul, was just like, you know what? Your name's already Joseph Wise. Don't change a thing. And for tax purposes, don't. So, you know, that was <laughs> probably going to be the case that I would just wrestle under my own name and make a persona out of that. Just dial myself up yeah, to maybe, 11 and roll with it. Yeah, maybe Joe the Wise. <laughs> yeah, Joe the Wise. Yeah, but it would pretty much come down to Joseph Wise. And it got me a lot easier to focus in on what wrestling was more about when there wasn't going to be a ring name. It was just, you're going to wrestle as Joseph wise. And that kind of got me more mm -hmm. centered and focused instead than like thinking something stupid, like, well, what would Trent Schofield do? Or what would uh, Maximilian wise do? It's like, no, what would I do if I was in that situation? Well, it mm -hmm. became more centering and I got really good at promos because of that, but where you grab the microphone and you talk smack, but you know, if I got to debut, definitely it would have been my own name. So would you say you were officially retired from wrestling? Or do you, get, do you still have some left in the tank? You know, quite possibly I could. It's just a matter of timing. You know, there was there's still plenty left in the tank. As I said, you know, never been injured. Really started to pick up and learn everything. It's now just a matter of time and location. Since uh, Virgil passed away in August of 2018, um, at least I believe it was August of 2018. It had to have been um, that, you know, and his school closed down a few months afterwards. It's a little bit harder to find local wrestling schools here in Sacramento. I know Supreme Pro Wrestling probably still has their school set up in Sacramento. And I believe Bushido Wrestling also still has their wrestling training school in Manteca. But now it's just a matter of finding the time to do it and also kind of assessing if I still want to. I still get the bite every now and again mm -hmm. and never say never. So we'll see what happens. So not only has Joseph been a wrestler, wrestling referee and a bartender, but he was also a seminarian. Well, yes. And to be clear, I am not really a seminarian. I'm in what, um, what someone once called a, uh, a, I believe they called it a preliminary seminary, um, discernment process but i'm far from being a seminarian right now uh no seminary will have me right now and i'm in the process of discerning what is what kind of priesthood god is calling me to right now and the process right now has been very slow but it's that way on purpose i've gotten to meet a lot of incredible priests and spiritual directors and getting direction on you know where and how to do this discernment and getting prepared for priesthood. So Joseph, how would you describe your your process so far? Well, you know, Kenny, it's been it's not been a copy cut and paste um, discernment process. And I know for a fact that the kind of priesthood that I believe I'm being called to is a kind of priesthood that doesn't exist yet. And because of that, the lesson that I'm learning in my discernment process has been all about, first of all, patience, because I know plenty of people, especially the saints, who were really adamant about, like, God wants me to do this, so I better do it now. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, which is always not a bad attitude to have, but I'm discovering more and more with prayer and with centering and with discovering more and more what is the will of God in my life, not only for my whole life, but on the day-to-day -day basis that what he wants me to do right now is to take things slow enough so I don't run ahead of him 
and take a slower pace right now. It's what I'm living through right now, I think, in my spiritual life is the quiet years of Nazareth, where there aren't a whole lot of eyes and ears on me. And it's that way on a per it's that way on purpose because the hour for my priesthood I know hasn't come yet. And all of the strong arming I've been doing to try to get it going. I always thought that there was like some sort of some I thought it was always my fault that well, this holy order didn't want me or religious community didn't want me or I'm not called to be there. Well, maybe it's something I did. And it's like, no, actually, I think this is actually something that God wants me to do, which is slow down mm -hmm. and wait. And faithfulness so, is definitely part of it. Why have you decided then uh, against uh, either a diocesan vocation or a religious, for example, like the Dominicans or a Franciscan uh, why not those rights? You know, quite honestly, Kenny, it's because I know that I am not called to be there. It's one of those things where I could pull together like a resume of like, or pull, you know, I could mix, I could try approaching priesthood like online dating, where I could say, well, you know, the Dominicans, they're preachers. Those are very good. Oh, the Franciscan Friars, the Renewal, you know, those, those guys are always happy. They got poverty, chastity, and obedience. And look, everyone's young. But the problem is, is that if there is not an inherent pull or an inherent push from the Holy Spirit to say, this is where you need to be, then the only thing that would push me there is ego, or the only thing that would push me there would be my own delusions of grandeur or my own imagination for what God wants for my priesthood. And for right now, I know that that is not the way that I'm supposed to go. And ultimately, my seminary is here and now with my own prayer life and with the things I'm learning every day by the hand of God. Now, have you, or I guess a better way to ask is, um, have you discerned directly with the diocese or you just decided like apart from that, apart from visiting that was I did discerning with the Diocese of Los Angeles when I was down in Orange County, which was kind of a funny thing. I was in Orange County, but I was discerning with Los Angeles. And uh, mm -hmm. I got to work with the vocations director there for a couple months. And um, the more and more I got into the discernment process with the Diocese of Los Angeles, the more and more I became convinced that if I am called to be a diocesan priest, it's at least not yet. And it might not even be with Los Angeles, obviously. And I had a similar experience when I was discerning with the Avalis of St. Joseph up in Loomis, California where I was so positive, so sure, and so confident that that would be the religious community for me. And then they turned around one day and said, uh, sorry, we do not feel that, you know, that your place is here. And it came a big shock mm -hmm. and surprise. But, you know, then later on when I was discerning with Los Angeles, it was me who made the decision who just to say, you know, I don't think this is for me. So I got to try out both. Mm -hmm. One said, no, not here. And I decided, okay, maybe not there. Then along the way as well with Los Angeles, it also kind of came down as I don't believe God wants me to be here. So that's the current mm -hmm. situation. Yeah, it sounds familiar because there was one where I decided, hey, it wasn't for me. And then there was another one. They're like, nope, not for you. So it was like, okay, there it is. That's, you know, I had the where I rejected one and, and there was another one where they rejected me. So it was like, I think was a perfect, you know, like way of like, okay, that concludes that on to get married. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and 10 years later, finally married and expecting our little one in about less than a month now. 
what what are what are some I would say challenging or negative aspects of discerning the religious life in 2020? You know, the I think one of the obvious negative aspects, maybe not necessarily for myself, but for other men, young and old, who are discerning priesthood right now, is because is uh, the current pandemic. Everything has been pushed online, where now there's like you know discernment meetings through virtual reality, but because of certain rules or some safety regulations that's going on, I know of some people who are not able to have one-on-one time with their spiritual director in person. And obviously there's a huge problem right now with, um, with all the faithful. Oh, sorry about that. There's a huge problem with all the faithful right now where, you know, some churches are closed because of the pandemic or they're not able to go to Eucharistic adoration. And there are some days where, because everything's pushed outside and the air quality is so bad, the bishop demands that, you know, you not have mass. So I think one of the biggest problems mm-hmm. with everyone who's discerning right now and for the faithful is that the sacraments are not as accessible as they used to be. And there's a whole strew of other problems going on right now in 2020. And um, that one's probably one of the more, more larger ones, one of the ones that has affected me the most personally. Mm-hmm. So what is one way then the church could do to attract young men to be either, you know, religious, a priest in the diocese or a brother. Uh, what is, what could the church do to attract these, these young men? That is a very good question, Kenny. And it's not a very easy question to answer because we can say, well, what can the church do? And it can almost be interpreted the same way. Like what can the army do to post, to boost um, recruitment or who can do this? How do we, it almost becomes like a marketing strategy. How can we make the church look more um, attractive to young people to come in? And ultimately, it's not the church's decision. And I mean that from the managerial standpoint of like the, the you know, bishops and the priests. It's not their decision whether or not someone is called to be a priest or not. It's God the Father's decision. And there are some people who will never, ever be able to escape his grasp especially if they're being called in a very powerful way to give his church the sacraments, to give his people Jesus. And the call to priesthood is not something that you can ever do because it sounds like a good career choice. And while faith, um, well, faith conventions where, you know, all the religious communities and the diocese go out to, you know, schools or convention centers for a weekend is like, hey, join our order. At the end of the day, the personal conviction that you receive from the Holy Spirit that you were placed on this earth to do something very far beyond what you thought you would ever be called to do, that conviction that is inherently placed in your heart is the thing that will drive you to accept your vocation in life. And there's a lot of factors right now, both inside the church, outside the church, in the secular world, and even in the unseen world, that's going to make that task of being faithful to that vocation, either in the very beginning before you start or at the very end when you're on death's doorstep, that will make that call, that vocation, seemingly impossible. Mm. But the one thing that is going to drive people to do what they've been told to do on this earth and been set aside to do since before time began is to be holy, humble, and small. 
Those were three elements that Janice Clark told me, a fantastic consecrated virgin of the Diocese of Washington, D.C., because I think one of the biggest um, difficulties in our church right now for finding authentic, authentic vocations is a reliance on, quite frankly, Catholic celebrity culture. Everyone wants to be the next Scott Hahn. Mm -hmm. Everyone wants to be the next Matthew Kelly. But all that aside, you actually have to find out who you are in God and what does God mean to you. If you know those two things mm -hmm. and you get there with humility, then you will know what to do and God will open up the doors to do it. But it will be according to his timing and not your own. And that's when faithfulness comes through. Because if he's telling you to run, will you have the confidence to keep up the pace? And if he's telling you to crawl or walk slowly, will you be confident enough that he wants you to go at this pace and not freak out and think that you have to run. And it all comes down to, again, mm -hmm. the discernment process. And every discernment process is personal, and it has to be done with the Holy Spirit. And I like that. I like the idea of the advice of being small. Yes. Because it's the sense of God is control. God is the big one. And you're there, you know, in a sense, to ride on his coattails. You're there to follow him. And like you're saying, if, if it's you're meant to be a priest, then God will show you. He will guide you towards that. And the biggest thing, I think, too, like whether it be, you know, discerned to be married or um, religious or diocesan is the ego. Yes. <laughs> That's, that seems like the, one of the, to me, was the biggest obstacle is, you know, I looked at religious life, like if I'm honest with myself, I looked at it, it was more like an ego thing. Oh, these are the things I can do. These are the things I can contribute to the church. And, and it seemed like a lot of it wasn't about God, but about my, you know, fulfilling my ego. And that was a big obstacle for me, especially when I was a lot younger, because ego can also lead to delusions of grandeur, where I had it in my mind that I would start mm -hmm. my own religious community and we would have our own habits and we would carry swords <laughs> because swords are cool. And like the best religious organization <laughs> or whole a religious uh, community in the world needs to have swords because we're men and we would pray the rosary to the march of the marine corps <laughs> drumming beat and da, da 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 and then it all of a sudden becomes completely <laughs> mechanical fantastical and completely implausible and it's just like i don't think god needs that i think what he needs is just one sinner with a contrite heart who has enough humility to understand mm -hmm. that even though he is broken and cannot achieve holiness on his own, he also has the wisdom to understand that if he seeks first the kingdom of God, then all things will be given unto him, but provided that he be faithful on a day-to-day -day yeah. basis to what God the Father wants of him. And some people can be too obsessed with the big picture that they lose sight of what mm -hmm. are you called to do today. Exactly. Yes, that I would say is a big thing because even myself, I was so worried about where God wanted me as far as the big picture, but ignoring the day to day, the simple prayers, just a simple life of communication with God, daily prayer with God. Yeah, and it's in those day to day moments that you actually can live the spirituality of the Holy Family of Nazareth, which is a complete mystical mystery. And I think that is one of the biggest elements missing, not only in everyone's prayer life, but also kind of missing within the church right now, is that everyone wants to be exposed 
everyone wants to be seen and everyone wants to sell the latest Catholic mm -hmm. book or have the blog or do the podcast, uh, excluding this one, of course. But, um, mm -hmm. but they lose <laughs> sight of what ministry is and what you actually need if you want to go into ministry, which is first to be holy. You know, there are people who say, you know, I want to be famous. I want to save people. I want to be this. I want to be that. But one thing that I don't hear very often is people saying, I want to be holy. <laughs> and then you never hear them say after that, I want to be holy. I want to be humble. And I want to be small. Mm. <laughs> that's, that's true, because there's no point of saving other people if yourself is not saved you know the only thing you're going to do is be pulling everyone off the lifeboat thinking that you know you have the strength to save them but you have the ego that is necessary to destroy them mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i think and we can see that in the church today i i think for many years especially in the u.s the church or i would say maybe speaking of myself and many people in the church the ego has got a little bigger and we got too comfortable with the culture. Mm. And I think we're experiencing those fruits now. You know, it, it reminds me of a quote from Venerable Fulton J. Sheen, who talked about how the laity are the hidden treasure of the church, but they also have the most difficulty with balancing because he says that if the lady become too worldly, then what's the point? And I'm kind of paraphrasing at this point, but if the lady become too worldly, then what's the point of having faith if you can't live it, express it, and in the proper context, show people? And then the opposite end of that, and this is where the quote becomes a little bit more accurate, where he says, they can become so holy and so withdrawn from the world that they build like these Catholic igloos where nothing can come mm -hmm. in and nothing goes out, then what's the point of having a gospel mm -hmm. if you're not going to preach it? Mm -hmm. And right, mm -hmm. right now there is, it's a heavy division right now because I haven't been able to see really anyone be able to go through that middle narrow path of being in the world, which is what we're all called to do. And because of that lack mm -hmm. of balance, I believe the gospel's message has been kind of strewn between the I don't cares and I care too much. Mm -hmm. That's true. It's a, uh, only thing we can do is stick close to the, close to the church, you know, go to confession, mass, stick with the sacraments. One of those. That's, that's, the that's the power. power. <laughs> what was that again? Oh. You, Cause like technology, you kind oh, of. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to one of those sacraments uh, later today, confession, which has always been, you okay. know, the, a, a most powerful, powerful sacrament. Actually, yeah, Janine and I was able to go to confession and mass early this morning. So it's good to see, you know, good to do that. Oh, good to see actually a little bit of a line for confession. So. Yeah. I don't, I don't know because people, I always see on Twitter, I mean, you know, you got to enjoy Catholic Twitter. Oh, no one goes to confession. Like, hey, in California, everywhere I go, there's always a line for confession. So I don't know what churches they're going to, but there's plenty of uh, confession goers here, especially here in Southern California, Ver whether it be Riverside or Orange County. Yeah, and I've seen the same thing up here in Northern California in Sacramento because uh, me and my brothers, we always had a rule. You can either show up on time for confession and wait a full hour in line to see the priest, or you can arrive an hour early and wait for the priest. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
So, you know, it's, you know, it may depend on which place you're going to. And uh, if you are able to go like a full month without needing the sacrament, uh, more power to you. For me, I, I yeah. only know my own conscience and uh, <laughs> the conviction that comes with that. So <laughs> I know I know what I need to do. And that's what's most important. Yeah, usually I try to do the monthly. I don't know if it was JP2 that recommended, you know, at least say go once a month at least. And usually I, I try to go by that rule. Yeah. It's, it's helped a lot. Yeah. For me, I try to keep it at two, two weeks to three, two to three, just because I don't like, mm -hmm. I don't like being strung along. Yeah. Yeah. So before we wrap it up here, what advice would you have for any young man discerning uh, his call in life? Whether it be, it could be married life, religious, be a priest. Yes. And to that extent, this, what you are discerning, young man, or what, whoever you might be, is that your vocation in life is not your own. It's not something you can dream up. It's not something you can make up. It's not something you are just going to decide to do because you have power over it. Everyone in this life is called to do something very, very specific. God doesn't leave anyone orphans. He doesn't put them on this earth without a purpose. And I think that's one of the greatest lies is people thinking that they've been put on this earth for no good reason at all. What you have to do in the discernment process is you first have to get over yourself. If you're struggling with scrupulosity, that is step one. The way how you conquer scrupulosity is you need to pray to Jesus that he will grant you in time according to his timing and not your own and according to his will and his grace that you you might be able to see and even feel what it's like to be held by him to be seen by him and to be loved by him because a response to embrace any one of the service sacraments marriage priesthood generous single life which i believe exists it's always a response to love. You know, Kenny, you got married to Janine because you love her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, you will, for people discerning religious life, especially with the Catholic Church, the decision to become a priest cannot become one because you have a hero complex or because you think that that will make your relatives happy or whatever reason. The call to priesthood is always a response to ultimate love where you know beyond the shadow of any doubt and within your heart of hearts that because you have gotten to experience God's love so alive in your life that nothing, nothing matters more than the love of God in your life. And if the way how you can consummate that love is through priesthood, run and don't look back. If the way how you can consummate that love is with marriage, run and don't look back. If the way how you can consummate that love is with generous single life, run and don't look back. But always, always, the reason and purpose of your life here on earth is always going to be a response to God's love in your life. And if you know that first and you feel it and you know it and you believe it, then you will know that perfect love casts out all fears. There we go. Joseph the wise. 
That's the thing. Hey, thanks, man. I uh, appreciate the time and your wisdom uh, about your um, your journey. And so where can people find you on social media? You know, for right now, Kenny, it's kind of strange. I am kind of staying off of social media as much as possible. Yeah. And there's not many... Uh, not many outlets that I'm really working on right now. I'm keeping everything relatively private. So I would say if anyone needs to get a hold of me or would like to follow me, get in contact with Kenny. He'll give you my phone number. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> He's going into hiding <laughs> now. <laughs> but no, I appreciate it, man. Thanks. Thanks for the time and be safe out there from all the smoke and up there in Sacramento. And take care, man. Thank you so much, Kenny. God's blessings upon you and yours.